Hello, hello, welcome everyone to Goomba Stomp's number one dedicated only anime podcast. Except that's not entirely true going forward because uh-huh. I'll, yeah, I'm not. If you've been a fan of Goomba Stomp, you may have noticed that we've launched a new sister site called Tilt Magazine, and our anime section is going to be moving over there pretty soon. So we won't be Goomba Stomp's dedicated anime podcast pretty soon. We'll be Tilt Magazine's dedicated anime For, Formerly podcast, known as Goomba Stomp's dedicated. Formerly known as Goomba Stomp. Mm. And Goomba Stomp will still be around as well. Uh, it will still be primarily about video games, but we'll talk more about that later. You're here to listen to a bunch of nerds, mainly us three nerds, talk about anime. And more importantly, we have all three of us together, unlike last episode when Matt. I was absent. And well, we, guys, we spoke about veganism for far too long. Well, the, the, the house is still intact. Like <laughs> I, I see some scorch marks here and there that are a little conspicuous, but things things are looking pretty up. I think you guys... Uh, Managed to keep it all together on, without me, it seems like. Hopefully. I think the moral of the story is when you're passionate about a topic, don't waffle on for like two hours and forget you're actually recording a podcast and just <laughs> ramble without any preparation because uh, it really weakens the argument. Now let's so. get to <laughs> rambling without preparation. Yes, yes, right. what we do best. That sounds good. Yeah. So my first rambling is I've moved into a new place. So I am recording from a new setup right now. Uh, the acoustics sound similar when I was testing earlier, but maybe you keen-eared listeners might notice a small difference. I don't have as much furniture in here, so there's not as much sound. Uh, yes, but yeah. the, the tonal quality of your uh, mahogany... Li- I don't know. I, 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 can, I do I can think see anime my waveforms. The Anime Ichiban podcast is renowned for audio quality, of oh course. Um, yes, that's all like sorts half of our audio listener, listenership listen is audio to our podcast, just like, oh, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, pure, yeah, I mean, there, you're, you're using a new mic. We're tone. constantly striving for better audio quality, right? I, I am. I've got a new mic, but um, I don't mm-hmm. think anyone cares. I barely care, and I'm the one who actually right. has the microphone, so I think it won't make much of a difference. We're about to that mm-hmm. time I recorded in front of my friend's apartment, and there were a bunch of cars and trucks driving by. Yep, I remember that. Fortunately, I don't have... I'm in the back of my building right now, so I don't have to worry about oh, nice. cars and trucks driving by. It's, very, it's a very quiet area, I must say, nice. yeah. But moving is stressful, and it's especially stressful during COVID. So mm. I'm glad that is over. Um, got, I'm more or less unpacked and settled in now. I got all my stuff ready. What are um, the top three things about your new place? Top new three three things. Um, it's really close to the train station, which was the main train station, I must say. Um, I, ha- I was near a station at my old place, but it was kind of a uh, a secondary line. It didn't go to many important places. So the other one is I have a garbage disposal now, which I didn't even know was going to be a thing until I discovered it yesterday. So that's neat. How do you have an apartment without a garbage disposal? Uh, you have a strainer in the sink and you just clean it every Ew. now and then. Dump yeah, it in the trash. Gross. My old apartment did not have a garbage disposal. So that was that. Mm. And third would be I have just I have just more space in general. So I'm definitely going to buy a bookshelf to uh, display all of my weeb nonsense shit as i showed you guys earlier i got my uh nadeko nadeshko figure so i can't wait to uh put her together and display her in all her cinnamon bun glory so yeah i'm just very pleased overall i was so i was almost regretting it getting home you can show them your beautiful anime collection because the girls love that oh yeah yeah oh yeah it's just uh that bd bde that's (laughs) it right there 
<laughs> I have had a, a couple uh, fun interactions with people I brought home. And it's like, uh, yeah, so this is my anime shelf. Although, thankfully, they did know I was a bit of a weeb before, you know, like I actually met up with them. So, you know. Right. I, w- I would like to think anyone that I allow in my home <laughs> would at least know somewhat <laughs> of my hobbies. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but what about you guys? What's been up in your corner of the lives not moving around? Uh, for me, I've been playing Majora's Mask recently. Oh, hell yeah. Like oh, nice. I brought that a, on. Billionth time. Uh, yeah, I, I, occasionally when I'm going through a bit of a down period in life, I just think, you know what, I'll, I'll dig out an old childhood Zelda game that I love and it'll cheer me up. And uh, yeah, I figured I, I'd get up my Wii U and put Majora's Mask on. It's just been great fun to replay. Um, I chose the Wii U like N64 emulation because I think Majora's Mask 3D makes some weird changes that I'm not a big fan of. Oh, the 3DS uh, so, one? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, like, it, it looks great and it plays great, but um, some of the boss alterations in the 3DS one, I think, are really peculiar. Wait, what did they change? So, for all the bosses, like, when you kind of weaken them in the 3DS version, this massive fucking eye comes out. There's, like, a weak point. And for the first two bosses, it's not really that obtrusive, but then, like, the latter two oh, become really yeah. weird. So, it's so, like... Yeah, I think they huh, do do that. The, yeah, fi- the, fish, that. the fish boss is really kind of, like, weirdly altered. There's a whole second Gaius. phase where you're underwater. Georg, I think, Georg? I think, whatever his name is. But uh, the, wor- the worst one is like uh, the, the the fourth boss at the end of Stone Tower, where in the original, what I loved about it is how like you, you're kind of your kid link, but then you can use the giant mask to become giant to attack the boss, but you don't have to. It's, it's like you can decide between the two, and I think that's really cool. But in Majora's Mask 3D, you have to use the giant mask, and you, it goes into some weird Wait, beat-em-up you can sort do of that mode. boss fight without putting on the mask? I'm not sure. I, I feel I feel like I feel like maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It's I've, been like it's probably you can, you been can, over a decade I know you since I played this game. I know you can have a lot of fun without the mask, and you, it, it feels pretty like ridiculous mm-hmm. to fight these ginormous mm-hmm. titans uh, like as this little kid. So that's really fun. But um, but now in like Majora's Mask 3D, you, it goes into like this beat 'em up version, and it's really really oh. awkward and difficult. And I think it took me like 15 minutes to do it because like there's this mode where like the boss comes out and you have to punch it like so many times before it goes back into the sand. And if you don't hit it enough times, you have to keep repeating this. And it's really awkward and shit. And it it just changes what is like initially a very kind of free-flowing boss where you fight them how you want to, to a very on-rails, regimented, you have to do it this way sort of boss. Um, so stuff like that from Majora's Mask 3D didn't So it's not well. just uh, a, hipter, a hipster uh, reason that you uh, no, no. went to right, the original that's interesting, one. considering okay. how uh, one-to-one the Ocarina yeah, of Time right? yeah, that's, pretty that's, that's a really weird thing they really made a lot of weird changes with Majora's Mask I think the biggest one again was uh, the Zora swimming, I don't know if you know about that but uh, mm. do you know the original Like you go into the water and you're super fast as a Zora yeah, yeah. in this one, by default you swim really slowly and the only way to swim fast is to use your magic. What? That's the only way to go like quickly oh. and to dive out of the water and do all that stuff. By default, you swim kind of like Tomb Raider swimming, oh. like really slow. Oh. And, and they obviously did it so it's like you can navigate the Great Bay Temple easier. But it's like, I don't know, you spend maybe an hour in there. But then like all the other swimming is obviously like ruined because of that feature. So a lot of weird changes that don't work, to be honest. So I stuck with the original and it's awesome and it's one of the best Zelda games. And I, I love it. Yes, I would absolutely. Like Wind Waker is my personal favorite, but I'll, I'll yeah. go to bat for Majora's as like the best Zelda or best my t- Zelda. My top three games of all time, Wind Waker, Majora's Mask, Ocarina of Time. <laughs> so yeah. A little biased. A little biased. A little biased, but I fucking love Zelda. So yeah. Uh, Zelda's fine. Uh, as for me... They're, they're well deserved. Uh... 
I have been not playing a bunch of games. Uh, as I told Matt, uh, I kind of got sidetracked by Final Fantasy XIV uh, because that's the whole thing, and their their patch came out. Sure is. But that's like in what little free time I have. In my other time, uh, I've actually been uh, doubling down on my Japanese studying, and I've picked up Kiki's Delivery Service, and I've been reading Yuru Camp, uh, both in Japanese, and I am utterly astonished that people are able to communicate with this fucking language. <laughs> it's it's like it it's actually like fucking caveman yeah. talk. Uh, yeah, because the thing is about Japanese is that they drop their subjects. They do, so often. and it's like who the like what are you talking about right now? Who who is this? Yeah. What what what's going on right now? But the the yeah. grammatical structure too is what fucks with me. So for example, yep, it's very fluid. Uh, like I was reading a uh, Eurocamp, and one that like still sticks out to me uh, is when uh, Rin offers Nadashiko uh, a cup of hot chocolate, and you know if you're saying that in English, you'd be like, hey, do you want to drink some hot chocolate? Uh, and you know, you'd respond, oh yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, in Japanese, it's literally, uh, koko nomu, mm, nomu. Yep. And literally yep. in English, it's yep, yep. Ko- uh, hot chocolate drink. Yeah. Drink. And I'm like, what? what? No, it's not even, yeah, drink. It's just drink. <laughs> yeah. It's just about, like, what? What? Like, how do you, like, I guess you, there's so much assumption that goes into like yep. actually communicating in Japanese. Yeah, it's it's it, yeah, it's definitely really hard to wrap your head around when you're first mm-hmm. learning it. But what I fa- found is, uh, once you do get used to it, it's almost kind of fun to see how much of a sentence you can shave down and still get your point <laughs> across and be natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you get to that point, that's when the Japanese language it's still very unnecessarily complicated, especially the written language. But uh, because of the because of how fluid the grammar structure is and how much you can get away with. You can express yourself in a lot more ways than you initially feel like when you're learning. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think we brought this up at some point in localization, I think, uh, in one of the episodes that we were talking Mm -hmm. about. But uh, Japanese is very much a very poetic language. Yeah, because the same word can hold so many different meanings. It's not very granular. Whereas in English, we have all these different words that mean very slightly degrees of the same thing, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so that that's that's definitely the fun part about Japanese, and also just sometimes seeing some really funny kanji combinations and how it comes out to the word they are. Like I I know oh, yeah. I I've been really behind on my kanji studies, unfortunately. But the one that I will always remember is the the kanji for absurd combines the kanji for without and oh yeah, tea. it's mucha mucha. <laughs> so if you're without yeah. tea, then you are absurd. Uh, another, which is hilarious another fun to combo me. that uh, I always bring up with people is uh, the the literal translation of the characters that comprise daijobu, uh, because it's dai, mm-hmm. which is big, jo, sturdy, and bu, uh, or which is a rendakud version of the character for husband. So big sturdy right. husband means safe. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. And I forget, I forget what they have. There's an actual official kanji for arigato too, and it makes no sense. I can't remember. What oh my god! Is. Yeah, it's God. Uh, I forgot. I I just learned that. Um, oh yeah, and and also kudasai is just the kanji for above. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's <laughs> like what? Um, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun stuff, and I'm assuming because it's like um, like you can kind of guess it too. Like I think the word for receipt is like written like. It's like territory yeah. writing. Yeah, there there are still a lot of words that make sense, 
But okay, it's it's the ones that don't make sense that I remember better. That is true. That is very, <laughs> because that is they stick true. out. Right. Yeah, that's, that's I, pretty much what's been taken. I remember, I remember learning the French alphabet when I was at school. And the one letter I remembered was W because it sounds <laughs> so fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, there you yeah. go. The weirder something is, the easier it is that, to remember. That is very true. Yeah. All righty. So as you guys know, I, I'm not sure if... Any, actually, for really quickly, just uh, Harry and Kyle, how did you get into anime? Just very, very quickly. What was your first gateway and how did you watch it more importantly? For me, so I got into it quite late. I think I was about 15 or 16. And uh, it was just because I was, I was following a lot of like dance music producers at the time and, and kind of, I was going to that geeky electronic music sort of world. Uh, and a lot of people I, I followed were watching anime and talking about anime, like kind of behind the scenes. So I thought, oh, I've, I've never watched this stuff. And, and I was like, oh shit, I... I watched Pokemon when I was a kid, so maybe I'd enjoy it. And uh, I think for whatever reason, the first one I came across and ended up watching was A Certain Magical Index, which oh, is, yeah. is not <laughs> not a good series. But at the time, that's, I didn't really have... That's an intro uh, series, though. I didn't have any, I, I didn't have any benchmarks, so like I watched <laughs> A Certain Magical Index dubbed, and I was like, oh, that was pretty cool. But obviously, I didn't have anything to compare it to in hindsight. I've obviously seen stuff that's infinitely better. But no, that was it. And I watched it online, I think, through illegal streaming. But uh, mm-hmm. in years following, I, I, have, I have bought plenty of anime DVDs. I've subscribed to Crunchyroll. I've got a Netflix subscription, so I'm paying my way now. But um, yeah, I can't, pay, I can't right. pay for everything. I'm only human. <laughs> and so, Kyle, how, how did you watch your okay, first Okay, so like Harry, I probably watched, I mean, I, I did watch uh, like Pokemon Um, but as far as like, when we're talking about, you know, when when you think of anime, right. Um, like, like the, Mm -hmm. when it's something different, something different, like the very mainstream safe kid shows, uh, I very distinctly having a, remember having a blue VHS that had the first three episodes of Dragon Ball. And I would religiously watch that over and over again because it was a lot of fun because it was, uh, the first episode where Goku meets up with Bulma, uh, and then afterwards where they meet up with Oolong and then Yamcha. Uh, and all of those were like really fun, but it also had like the <laughs> it, uh, the mix of like action and fan service that I think would very much uh, color my future taste in anime. All right, so you you actually got in on the ground floor through an official means by VHS. Then. Yes, I did. Unless it was a bootleg, uh, not to my knowledge, but I don't know. It, it was blue, <laughs> and I feel like a bootlegger wouldn't you know put effort into make their stuff look nice. <laughs> All right, and then for me on my end, I got into anime through watching three-part Naruto episodes oh on God. YouTube <laughs> way back when, and then P. eventually getting it. Yeah, and then eventually getting into Rodma One Half. Uh, but yeah, like Harry, I now since now subscribe to all the streaming services: Crunchyroll, Funimation, Netflix, so on and so forth. But yeah, it was. Uh, street illegal streaming was definitely the way I got in and watched anime for a long time. And that's how a lot of people, I feel like, got into anime Mm -hmm. in the early 2000s, even like early 2010s, I'd say. It's only very recently where these streaming sites are getting big. And it's because of that changing landscape that we see sites like Kiss Anime and Kiss Manga, legacy pirate sites, now finally being shut down. And so, are either of you familiar with this? I've heard about this, yeah, yeah. So. Is this because things are becoming more accessible and more globally uh, available to people? So there's more of a reason. To I feel shut like down it's a mix sites? of that and the fact that because everything is like kicking off, um, and 
like these anime licensing and publishing companies are getting so much funding, they're they have more financial grounds and reason to actually crack down on these sites. Mm. Right. So here here is some backstory. And so first, actually, just to back up a little bit more to give the listeners a bit more background on uh, Kiss Anime and Kiss Manga, they are they were the definitive biggest uh, anime piracy site and streaming illegal streaming anime services out there. Uh, you. They've been been around for ten whole years, and uh, they came up to some. I think remember reading they've had ninety five million active users in the last three months of activity oh alone. They were huge, <laughs> uh, and a lot of people went to them because they don't want to pay for a subscription service for one reason or another. Uh, so the reason for this crackdown happening all these years later, after ten whole years, uh, is because good are a very well known mangaka Ken Akamatsu. Oh. Does that yeah, ring a bell love for Hina you? Author and Negima. Yes, Love Hina author and also the uh, Negima author. So he went to he made an appearance between before Japanese lawmakers back in June, and he pleaded to them to take legal action on behalf of uh, Japan's uh, manga publishers and anime producers, mm-hmm. and um, that law has been uh, being drafted and rewritten and re- refined until it's Holy finally shit. going to be enacted. Uh, this coming January, January. I didn't realize that was making progress. In prep- yes, in preparation for that, uh, DMCA notices have been sent out to every single uh, Japanese piracy site, essentially, because this this law specifically targets individuals who knowingly download or stream illegal sharing of videos and music for anime in Japan. Hmm. It does not have an effect on European, U.S., and Australian citizens. Is the hmm. thing. Uh, but through, I'm not exactly sure how, probably because Kiss Anime and Kiss Manga are so massive and they have such a global presence, they got wrapped up into all this. And so they received a takedown oh. notice. This happened uh, one week ago, exactly, last Saturday on August 15th. What was last Saturday? August 15th. Uh, it was suddenly shut down. There's only a message on the site saying that. All files have been taken down by copyright owners. The site will be closed forever. Thank you for your supports. Sick, they say supports. Um, there's they emphasize that there should be no recovery of this. How true is that? Someone might make a proxy site, we're not sure. But the, the fact of the matter is, Kiss Anime has been affected by these new piracy mm. laws. Um, the interesting thing is that this new law, first of all, it, it seems like they actually put in a lot of research to craft the language around it so it wasn't too all encompassing, the umbrella wasn't too big. Because you can easily wrap up uh, dojin-related work, so fan parody works, into this kind of law. And it looks like, through their language, that's excluded. So that's mm-hmm. good. Um, but this is called, more or less, just copyright enforcement theater. Because the vast majority of anime Japanese anime fans actually do buy DVDs and those really expensive limited Blu-ray sets of anime. So this doesn't actually affect this the Japanese sort of a, market this much. This is the thing as well. I feel like for a lot of people in the UK and US and, and other countries as well that would buy these DVDs and would buy these things, because I, th- I think there's a lot of anime fans who are very passionate about this medium. But the reason they don't is because they're not available. Or they are well, available, but right. they're I, stupidly fucking expensive. It'll be like $50 for a dvd of something I, okay so like, how much are they like I, I feel like that's how much they would be you know if you converted it um into yen like mm. it'd be roughly the same price right and i guess just like do japanese people just spend more or spend that much well i 
Blu-rays especially can get stupid expensive, mm. uh, especially the yeah. collector's Blu-rays. And anything by Aniplex is like, I don't know what the deal is with the Aniplex tax, but you'll get half a season of a show on Blu-ray for like $200. Oh, okay. oh my God. Equivalent to $200. Right, yeah. It's mm. absolutely mm. bonkers insane. I, I, like, this look is, look this up is Fate Zero, like, look up Modica. This is why yeah. streaming sites exist. Because it is, I've said it before about One Piece, but like I would happily buy the entire fucking One Piece box set if it existed. If it was out there on Blu-ray and it was like, even if it was like 200 quid, I'd get it. So, you know, for that, for that many episodes, but, but it's, I think you get like one DVD and it'll be like maybe 15 to 20 episodes and it'll be like 30 pounds. Interestingly uh, enough, When you've got like, like nearly a thousand episodes, you can't afford that. Yeah. Interestingly enough, though, um, I feel like that the conversation, uh, at least in the US, uh, is not so much around buying merch, but it is more in support of these streaming services, right? Because you, you you brought up a very good point, Harry, and we've mm. gone over this before, but the idea of we would buy things if they were available at a reasonable price, um, you know, and, and those caveats aren't necessarily being met. But the one that is kind of, undeniably just a a quality service um it are these streaming sites like crunchyroll and Foundation yeah, and stuff yeah. like that uh so the conversation and w- what i've seen because i follow a lot of animators a lot of uh, people who work in localization and in those uh, dubbing markets uh, a lot of the conversation now is pretty much shifting towards uh yeah don't pirate this shit pay for it and support the people that are making it um, but that yeah. it, it gets into a, like a whole bunch of weird stickiness with like how Crunchyroll treats and, people, but yeah. Right. So there are, there are two points involved in that. Uh, the first point is like you said, uh, animators and also, uh, these localization licensors both say it's like, they, they really, really despised streaming sites like, like Kiss Anime, but Kiss Anime especially because here's the thing is that Kiss Anime runs mm-hmm. ran mm-hmm. ads on their site. They were making a profit on their site. They were making a profit off of the subs that Funimation and Crunchyroll were making. Mm-hmm. Um, and so therefore, it wasn't just a matter of uh, piracy, but they were making mm-hmm. a profit yeah. from it. it that's yeah. why they were especially despised. Animators and licensors both said, look, if you're going to pirate our series, torrent it. Don't use these streaming sites because you are giving them money that they don't deserve. If you torrent it, at least it, no, you're not making, no one's making a profit that they don't yeah, deserve. That's so fair. that's one side of the coin, yeah. The other side of the coin, uh, so Kyle, you said in terms of the US, the streaming sites are big and uh, mostly encompassing, but that's the issue is that that's limited to the yes. US. And so there was a survey done uh, on Anime News Network. And of course, Anime News Network isn't all-encompassing either, but they asked people, how affected are you by the Click Kiss anime closure? And they found for the U.S., uh, only 33.9% of the U.S. Uh, respondents were angry or sad by it. However, you look at correspondence in India and Malaysia and Southeast Asia, and you have upwards of 70% of residents saying that they were angry or sad or extremely angry mm. or sad about its closure because they either don't have the streaming services there or they do and they are extremely limited, like just Naruto Bleach One Piece or something mm. like that. And so they've lost their only way of watch of consuming these shows even. It's not even a matter of like when Netflix is holding a show hostage for us and we go to another source to find it. It's just like, no, they, they can't unless they find a torrent site, which again... 
That's a whole other sticky business mm. as well. So that brings up the question. It, there's not, streaming sites are definitely the most direct way to uh, fund these animators and support them. It's not the best, but currently it is the most direct way. But at the same time, it's just the way that every single licensing deal has to be renegotiated individually per series, per studio, per li- per uh, distributor, uh, I've been reading, is just not feasible. It's not... Uh, I mean, we're already seeing that issue with word? just like every other kind of uh, show, right? Where prior to like 2017 or so, Netflix was kind of the only person uh, or, or only organization with uh, you know, streaming uh, capabilities. But then over the past mm-hmm. few years, you've had alternative sites come up and then you see all of these studios like pull their shows off of Netflix. Uh, so if you want to watch something like 30 Rock or The Office, you have to subscribe to Peacock. If you want to see something like uh, Star Trek, uh, you have to go to CBS All Act. There's just so many <clears throat> different things that are coming up because of these licensing issues. And I don't know if there's necessarily any good way to solve it because it doesn't seem like there's been a good way to solve it for non-anime related industries. So I don't see anime, at least in terms of distribution and licensing being any different, uh, that would make it easier. Right. Yes. That, that's the, that's definitely the hard part because on one hand, I definitely fully acknowledge these illegal sites definitely being the gateway for a lot of people like Harry and me and, thousands and millions of other anime fans out there. And I also acknowledge if you live in an area where you can't access it uh, legally, then that might be your only option. But at the same time, I you got to wonder if, if there is some sort of medium that's possible, that there's some sort of way that just the whole foundations of licensing distributions could be reworked so that they can happen more easily, more fluidly across a wider spectrum. I'm not a pat. I'm not an IP lawyer or anything like that, so I have no idea how feasible that is. Like you said, it seems like it's not very feasible, judging by it hasn't happened yet. But it's, it is such a shame when you think about how these fans lost their only way of consuming their favorite, mm. their medium, basically. Yeah, it does suck, and I really hope that like somehow there can be a way of actually delivering all these shows to people in an accessible and affordable way. But the more the more time goes on, the more I just think it's not going to happen. There's just too mm-hmm. many fucking business politics behind the scene. But it's, it's frustrating. Right. Um, yeah, like... The- I, I do wonder, like, if you could have... If you... Like, there's no way because VPNs exist. But if you could have, like, specific isolated uh, piracy sites for, for, <sighs> for a country and it's only for, like, that country's like, look, we can't get it. Mm. Don't touch us. Mm. And it's not like someone else can log in from like I, the U.S. I, or something, but obviously I that's think not possible. That stuff like that exists, and there are. Like, granted, um, honestly, like if I were to, you know, pirate anime, I would not go to Kiss Anime because Kiss Anime is just an awful site, or you know, when, when it was still up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> there are alternatives, and you know, when I've been really desperate, like there have been a couple shows that like weren't on any streaming services I could find, so I was like, all right, well, I guess this is literally the only way I can watch this. Um, I had to do a bit of digging, uh, if I didn't want, you know, ad slash malware filled sites, but honestly, like if you're talking about your average viewer and if you're talking about like people that are in their teens, because teenagers watch a lot of anime, like, I don't know if that's like a low enough or or if that barrier is a little too high for them to 
find more reliable sites. I think that's why like something like his anime was felt so deeply just because it's accessible. Inter- like all you had to do mm-hmm. was put in anime streaming and then it would show up as like the third or fourth result, if not the first. Yeah, exactly. It, it was definitely an easy, it lowered the barrier yeah, to entry yeah. for sure. And so I, 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 people forgave the ads and all that because they I think were that's able the to question like, get is their like, product. Mm, yeah what these kind of copyright laws are asking is, is it okay to raise the barrier to entry? Exactly. Yeah. And so that's, it's only going to be a more interesting landscape as uh, globalization just gets mm. more and more prominent. So we'll see what it's like in another 10 years We're in 2030. When COVID's then. Yeah. VR. All right. Moving right along. We got some corporate shakeups. So speaking of Crunchyroll. One of the biggest anime streaming sites out there, right up, the, uh, right on par with Funimation. So there has been a report that came out of Variety magazine uh, last Wednesday that Crunchyroll's parent company, AT and T, is looking to sell Crunchyroll, and they mm. uh, <laughs> they have reported that they actually pitched a price of one point five billion dollars to Sony to sell to. And keep in mind that Sony owns uh, Funimation. Oh. Which is interesting. Okay. Yes. So if Sony were to buy Crunchyroll, it would own both of the biggest anime streaming that, platforms do you think out there. However, fuse it all into one. I would honestly hope so, just because I don't view Crunchyroll and Funimation as competitors, just because they offer extremely different products. Yes, they're in the same field. They both offer anime. But if I, if I, if I want to watch Snafu, mm. uh, I have to go to Funimation. And like that is not an option. For me, mm-hmm. um, I I, right. I would say I'm willing to pay a slightly more premium price that is still less than two services combined. Right. So here, here's the thing, though. So uh, Sony reportedly balked oh. at that price. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, well, not then. According to three people familiar with the situation, because Sony effectively values the streaming service at five hundred dollars, five hundred U.S. dollars per subscriber. However, the funny part is, according to another person, quote unquote, familiar with the matter, AT&T values Crunchyroll at equivalent of $400 per subscriber. So Sony values it more than AT&T does, but they're kind of like, their lines are not aligned or something uh, along those okay. lines. I'm not sure. But uh, this, this is all uh, tying back to uh, discussions that show that AT&T is willing to sell its valuable assets to bring down its... $151 billion debt load. Mm. $151 billion uh. in debt. And a lot of that is because um, they are also Warner Media, and Warner Media owns all of these traditional TV channel oh. stations that don't have like an online streaming. And we all know how popular traditional oh TV God. stations are nowadays. Yeah, which makes the G4 coming back as one question. But that's another story, though. But yeah, so uh, AT&T is looking to sell Crunchyroll off to someone is the, the the big deal here. And so Sony denied their price, their asking price of $1.5 billion. Now they are supposedly putting out an asking price of $1 billion to other possible uh, buyers as well, such as, uh, uh, I've lost it, Hulu. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm not sure what a change in ownership for Crunchyroll would mean. Like, for if it went under Sony, that would be interesting, considering they already own Funimation. Would we get something like Ver- what Verve is 
accept it's both services or would they just be fused into the Funimation umbrella? Would it be a new brand or something else? But if it went over off to one of these other smaller sites, if it went off to Netflix or something like that, mm. <laughs> mm. The, the whole streaming landscape, like we were just saying, could be turned on its head. Yeah. What do you guys think about this? I, I just I feel like whenever we're discussing money and as soon as like the word billion comes out, I just think that's where capitalism has failed. Like like <laughs> a billion's too much money. For anything but um but, but no I, I think it's pretty crazy and uh I, again i guess it goes back to like accessibility if somehow however this pans out it makes things more accessible for people globally then fine i think that's cool um and i, I just kind of hope whoever eventually acquires crunchyroll i hope it all pans out in a way of like it's more accessible and it's more affordable for people on a global market so if you had a choice and who could buy Crunchyroll? Mm. Who would you want it to be? So regarding accessibility, uh, I'm not saying like, I, I don't know enough about this company's politics to say I'm a fan or not a fan. Mm. But with someone like Netflix, I feel like that's such a huge streaming platform already. And if they can encompass then like all of Crunchyroll, it's like, well, a lot of people already have Netflix, myself included. So that would be quite beneficial but to most consumers. Harry. But Harry... What if Netflix starts holding all uh, the curling oh, shows hostage? Oh, of course. Oh, God. Of course. That's, that, right. that's the catch. <laughs> okay, that's the so issue. that is... Hmm. Yeah, how do other... Because I know that Funimation, <laughs> as, as far as I'm aware, uh, is the only other site that does, like, simulcast. Uh, which right. is... And they yeah, do simuldubs yeah, which is nice. But too, that's, yeah. like, the only instance, and I feel like that's a huge part of, like, the anime, like, fan experience um and like mm -hmm. if hmm. well don't, amazon oh, do amazon does it too okay. actually now that so about well it. there we go yeah, i guess amazon yeah. but i go don't on. exactly want amazon to just you know keep growing so i'm probably gonna hmm. yeah that's that's a tough <laughs> one just because i know that um because netflix holds some shows hostage like i wanted to watch bna before it came onto netflix i was like okay well literally the only way i can do this is kind of through piracy so I, I feel like if it goes to Netflix, that's just going to, because Crunchyroll is kind of built on this whole simulcast uh, platform, uh, it would just push a lot of people towards pirating. Especially, yeah. again, like considering how much of a, uh, mind of a market share that Crunchyroll has, that would have a Although, huge I, I would, effect. I would hope that, that Netflix, if, if Netflix did get it, they would move towards like a simulcast platform for, for at least some shows. Um or they or or if they keep Crunchyroll, that, yeah, that would probably be the best scenario. Like that whoever buys this keeps thing. it, yeah. like as is. It just be, and I feel like they should just because Crunchyroll has like such a very strong identity. I'm in a very strong brand, right? Definitely, I agree. Yeah, that for sure. Whoever ends just up buying Crunchyroll, it should remain. If Crunchy anything, Roll. all yeah. you need to do is like At give least. them more money for more licensing because that is where Funimation kind of has the beat mm. right now. Exactly. So. From what I've been reading around the web, there are two uh, camps involved in this. There's the there's the Sony camp and there's the Amazon mm. camp. And so uh, the people for the Sony camp are more or less people like us who appreciate what Funimation has do done and um, as the other major streaming site and wouldn't mind seeing that combined in some way. However, there are also a large amount of people that are dissatisfied with Funimation's uh, subs. They feel like they insert politics into the subs too much. They don't adhere to the source mm. material as well as they should. 
I don't particularly agree with that, but there's definitely a large amount of people that do. What, what do and you so mean by those people insert, feel like the next best option would be Amazon. Into so do, do they like... I'm not exactly sure. Uh, again, this is just all from what I've been gleaning around the internet and various forums. It's but a, I haven't from what I understand, into, like, examples. Um, it, God, what was it? I think Dragon Maid was one of the ones uh, that people point to just because they inserted like a lot of feminism stuff that wasn't necessarily there in the original uh, script. Yeah, but feminism's cool, mm-hmm. I think so. I'm fine with that. Right, yeah. But but I, exactly. the so, internet is a very right-wing place where, yeah. like, as soon as there's and, any mention of anime fans mention in of general politics, people... I, I think it's more about, like, and, and I, I think the issue... Well, I, I would say that there are definitely, like, the people there that are using this as a platform to just be incels. Uh, yeah. But there is also the very mm-hmm. fair concern of, like, I, I personally would want to have it as close to the original as possible. Exactly. Um, and yeah. like, I, yeah, I don't know. I like, I, I just don't want things that are that aren't there in the original. Uh, even, even if the message right, is really yeah. cool, if you, you if you know that the, to be there because it doesn't, yeah, because it's not actually if anything, it's like yeah, it, it'll it. stand out more. It's yeah. not actually yeah, yeah. being said. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you know that things are being modified, but you're not familiar with the Japanese language, that's always going to be in the back of your head. It's like, but how much of what I'm reading is actually what they're saying? How much of this is the actual story? And so. That's yeah. where a lot of people and like, it, co- are that's coming happening, from like, in terms it, it of Sony and just be relegated to politics. It'll be like, okay, well, maybe the sub the suburbs just didn't like this part of the story, so they're going to change it to something else, which people have historically done in subs. Uh, like there was that whole thing with the Netflix subbing of Evangelion. Yeah, uh, they Evangelion. like completely changed the relationship <laughs> yeah. between Shinji and Karu. Yeah, so, so I guess this is the other side where instead of becoming more uh, progressive with the subs, they changed because I've not seen Evangelion, but uh, as far as I know, there's is it two characters that are like they're in love, and there, there are it, there are very distinct um, like homosexual undertones. Uh, yeah, not, not even undertones. It's like like outright said. Mm. It's very overt. It's very overt. Right? <laughs> but the way that Netflix subbed it, uh, they change it to more of a "Hey, buddy" kind of thing. So, so do you think there is almost yeah. like behind the scenes somebody who is doing it who is maybe homophobic? Well, not, not even homophobic. Just cool maybe they that. don't even know, uh, or like really under they, they they just misunderstood it, and that's the problem when you try to like change it to your personal like preference or what you interpret there, uh, rather than the author's intent, right? Right. It's it all goes back to the localization versus translation argument. It's just such a very fine line because. The very definition of localization means that you're going to be making some amount of changes that don't fall one-to-one as a translation, but you can definitely go too far mm. with that. And a lot of people think Funimation goes mm. too far. I really I really enjoy when you're watching uh, an anime so and the why. subtitles don't feel like they've been tailored to you, but that's part of the fun. I think like you're reading a script that feels very Japanese and, and very like... Uh, yeah, but that's the problem. Sometimes like, the scripts do get quote-unquote tailored to you. Um, because they try and, to that's what I'm saying. I, I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, don't, I don't like it when it's tailored yeah. to you. I, I'd rather it be um, mm-hmm. you know, tailored for its its intended yeah, market, yeah. the Japanese market. And then, like, if there's anything you're reading where it's like, that's a bit weird. I, yeah, we wouldn't word it like that in England or America. It's like, that's part of the fun of it, though. That's part of the, the novelty mm-hmm. of seeing something, any film that's foreign and that's from a different country. It's absorbing the fact it is a different culture and a different type of uh, language. Yeah, so here, so for example, Harry, I'm not sure if you 
watch Funimation, but a lot of shows in Funimation, they drop honorifics in their subtitles. They don't use San, they don't use Chan and mm. all those. They use other like Mr. Uh, and Mrs. and so on and so mm, forth. So that kind of thing, those that instance where like, oh, what's that? That's not something I'm aware of. That's lost in Funimation. That's just one example. Mm. Um, so again, uh, it's two camps. Some people w- are okay with it being Sony for that all-encompassing, and some people aren't satisfied with Sony and Funimation's handling of subtitles. So they'd rather not. Just learn Japanese. Uh, but yeah. That's all you got to do. I'm going to say, uh, okay, I'm yeah. gonna say Follow it, here's a little, uh, a slight dig at America, so don't take offense, but um, I know for many years, Oh my God. America has demanded things to be localized to them. It's happened with like British television shows and comedy shows where it's always been like the American version is coming out soon. It's always to kind of tailor it with American related pop culture. Do you think Funimation does this to try and tailor it to an American audience or do you think it's just to tailor it to Honestly, a non-Japanese audience in general? kind of. <laughs> mm. Um, at least with, from what I've seen, um, when I was more actively watching Funimation, uh, related stuff, it does feel like they drop a lot of pop culture references that are like, who, who says this? Yeah. So it's very out of interest. Like with you guys being in America, are there a lot of people in America who watch something that's foreign? Let's say a British TV show. If you watch like a British TV show, um, do you genuinely not understand it? Like, do you genuinely struggle I'll to follow it? I'll have to have subtitles on something. Like, okay, so I think one yeah. of my recent examples was I watched a British crime mystery series called Broadchurch. Uh, and it's set in, like, rural England where there's a lot of turns of phrases and very thick accents. So it's like, even with subtitles, I'd have to rewind. But it's like, I like that because, you know, to your point earlier, Harry, I liked seeing, like, this representation of this um, yeah. you know, th- this culture. Uh, so I, I like to keep it as authentic as possible. And I thought for mm. myself, it was a learning experience to figure out how to interpret it. I, I think that's what's interesting. And it's like, if you could choose between like, like I've not seen Broadchurch, but I've heard of it. But if you could choose between the original iteration of that or the American, the hypothetical American remake where it's all Americanized, what would you rather choose? <laughs> so we, we got a word for that in anime, yeah. Barry. It's official uh, subs versus fan right. subs. Mm. <laughs> so so fan subs are, are they yeah, trying to actually like that. translate it in a way that's more authentic to the original Japanese? Fan, fan subs traditionally and historically have been more one to one in their yeah. translations. That's why you see translation translators notes so often in fan subs too, because they won't even attempt to try to localize a joke or something. They'll just explain it's like this word means this, this word means that, and because yeah. of that, it's a pun. Whereas in Funimation, they'll try to convert it, it it's into a, lot. It, it's, a pun that it's makes sense. Hit and miss. Um, the, the same way that official uh, you know, localizations are hit or miss. Uh, sometimes because they're mm-hmm. done by fans, done by people who are at best running off of donations from people that are supporting them, you get a very, very, very wide range of quality. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have subs that are fantastic. Sometimes you have subs that are you know, better than the, the official localization. Other times it's like, why are you using this same phrase over and over again? <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly yeah so it's it's yeah. all a balancing act in the end and so coming back all of, all of our news topics are leading it's very cool. nicely to each other this time around so um in terms of this uh globalization and uh localization kind of thing have either of you heard of galapagos no, i've heard of cool. galapagos turtles 
Yes, <laughs> it does indeed have to do with the Galapagos Islands, but uh, this is a very distinctly Japanese term that has come into play within the recent millennia, since the early 2000s. And it refers to basically business studies that refer to isolated development of a product that is globally available. Uh, so essentially there have been a lot, a lot of products in Japan that they've been developing that were very, very popular in Japan that they would try to export and it just would not take off because they were mm. isolated like the Galapagos and they developed in their own sphere, disconnected from the world outside of them. And so an example of that are things that, that are the Japanese 3G mobile phones, the 3G flip phones that you'd saw, see in old mm. anime. So those things were way ahead of their time. They were basically rocket, they were smartphones yeah. before Apple and Android took over the world. Um, However, those never really left Japan. <laughs> uh, they tried to export them, but they were very unsuccessful in marketing that abro them abroad. And then eventually Apple and Android came around and that, that ship had sailed. Another example are something called K-cars, which you've probably seen them in anime. They're, they're super tiny, compact four-wheel cars oh, yeah. that like seat two people. They're not smart cars, but they're mm -hmm. something else. But tiny little you know yeah. what I'm talking about? I, I can picture something yeah, exactly. that looks like it-ish in my head. Right. And they have like uh, truck versions of them too. But yeah, they have a very distinct shape to them. But again, uh, very popular in Japan, especially in the countryside and suburban areas. Tried to export them to the global market. Didn't work. <laughs> um, and so Galapagos syndrome refers to that instance where Japanese companies come up with this idea that is just insanely successful and popular in Japan. But then when they try to export it to a global market, it just doesn't work um, because they're out of touch. And so there has been an article recently that has come out of uh, a Japanese magazine called IT Media, written by uh, industry animation industry journalist and analyst Tadashi Sudo, that basically is asking the question, if anime, anime is suffering from mm. Galapagos syndrome now? And your initial gut reaction, I'm sure, is no, of course not. Look at how many weebs there are around the world. People <laughs> love anime, right? That's probably what you're thinking. Um, but here's the thing, though, is... As anime becomes more popular, as it becomes more globalized, you see all these foreign uh, powers taking an interest in it. So you see Netflix and Amazon coming in for a piece of the share. And particularly Netflix um, is now producing quote-unquote anime that are not produced by a Japanese mm. animation studio. So the most uh, prominent one that comes to mind is Castlevania. And so the worry is now... Um, Will anime just become a style that is globalized, and will it lose its distinctly Japanese, well, uh, it's, Japanese origin I, I find, over time? I know there's still a like a is there a danger on this, that? and to me, it's there's such an obvious answer, which is just that like anime is Japanese animation. End of per period, as you said, America. <laughs> that's that's it. Like um, <laughs> to me, if, if it's like oh, like if an American studio has made something. And it's like, it's an anime. It's like, well, no, it's not. It's anime inspired by all means. It's inspired by anime, but it is an American animation. Therefore, it is an animation. It is a cartoon, whatever you want to call it. But, but, but I, do, I don't, I feel like it will become more global, unfortunately. Exactly. So do you think that mindset would become the common mindset? Like, what do you think, again, 10 years down the line, we're in 2030. I what do you think majority of people will define anime as? What will that landscape look quality like? of anime-inspired media uh, that tries to look as much as, like, as anime exactly. as possible. 
so for example, uh, I Castlevania is not that great. Um, so there's really no danger of that, like overtaking anime or anything like that. It is very popular, it's though. Popular, it's yeah, very, but it's very not popular. Universally acclaimed. Uh, it was very it successful. Have, okay, so I, I think one of the an older series that kind of kicked off this same debate, like a decade and a half ago, was Avatar: The Last Airbender, uh, because it was exactly. yeah. so uh, popularly and critically acclaimed. Uh, it was very clearly inspired by anime, but done entirely by a Western studio. Uh, and the conversation there was like, is this anime? Is this not anime? But um, like semantics aside, I think that it still existed perfectly alongside traditional anime. Um, and, you know, in a non-anime example, you just have to look at something like Ghost of Tsushima, uh, which is very much inspired by old Japanese media, uh, a lot of Japanese gaming sensibilities, uh, but it's still very distinctly a Western game. Um but it was still something that was appreciated by not only by a Western audience, but by a Japanese audience as well. Uh, so I think that there's space for both to exist. And kind of like Harry said, uh, the debate between what is or isn't anime really just comes down to semantics. And um, what, what part of this article is putting forth, too, is that uh, Japanese anime, in order to retain that that distinctual trademark over it. For example, how Hollywood kind of became this global presence, like everyone aspires to Hollywood and Disney has become this global presence and everyone associates mm -hmm. a lot of animations with Disney. In order for Japanese animation to be, be, retain Japanese and not just become a visual style, the visual style of it all, uh, it needs to become more broad. Uh, it needs to become more exposed mm. to the global audience and uh, its sensibilities and ideals. And they, it uh, pseudo points to a controversy that happened around a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure OV, OAV in 2008, where the studio had to apologize uh, when they distributed around the world because Dio oh, was reading for the Quran. <laughs> and so that was a big snafu that could have easily been avoided. And so that is an extreme example. But again, like we've been, we talked about this on multiple episodes where we'd love to see more foreign infusion into Japanese anime. That's what, one of the reasons we like Trigger so much is because they have so many uh, yeah. ideas from Western animators incorporated into their series. Um, another idea, it doesn't even necessarily need to be that like you bring in someone into the studio itself, but we're seeing excessive collaborations globally through mm -hmm. virtually and wirelessly uh, that can open up I more possibilities oh, as yeah. well. Personally, Oh, sorry. Personally, what I still really want to see is I want to see a full anime series that takes place somewhere in a modern day city that's not so you in Japan. Actually, you <laughs> because I up, feel like the um, and even yeah, though I really don't like it, I it's kind of an awful series. I really like the idea that God of High School tried to do, which is it's an it's completely done by a Japanese studio. All, it is for all intents and purposes an anime, but it's set in uh, Seoul, South Korea. And I was like, oh, neat. Well, that, that, that's slight, a slight exception because it's based off the webtoon, which was written by a Korean manhwa. So are you talking oh about God. like somebody, webtoon something artist. that's entirely Japanese created, but set somewhere else? 
Right. So they do like their uh, location okay. research. Like you, you see those dev diaries and uh, video games, for example, is like we mm. sent people to these locations or Hollywood films too. Again, this this article is comparing Japanese animation to okay. the likes of okay. Hollywood and okay. Disney and what it can do to reach those points. So like location scouting is a big expense, but if anime wanted to reach that point, that's something that they could do. And so to really create something in a different setting, I think that would be really neat. And I feel like the few times we have seen that in anime, uh, for example, the K-On movie, when mm. they go to London, I I thought that was actually really well done. Granted, I've only been to London ver- for two days, so I can't speak exactly how accurate was. Harry could probably, but I thought at the very mm. least, it didn't seem like a joke. It didn't seem like this is a Japanese. That's very fair. There's definitely been. No, they've they've probably looked into London it and probably like. figured out yeah. how does London work. But that was just a movie. So I would love to see just a full TV series of just kids in America or kids in uh, some European mm-hmm. country or some yeah. somewhere mm-hmm. else than just Japan. So yeah, there have actually been like a couple of really examples neat. of those. Uh, I haven't seen them recently, but I remember back when I was like back in the 2000s, um, there were a couple of series that were like in western settings in america and it was like oh this is just an anime style but it's complete like it's an american story like there was one called bacano um which is really good uh it's set in early 20th century new york and the dub is fantastic for it because they all have like like, i'm I'm aware of bacano i've i've heard of it but apparently it's like really confusing at first a little bit yeah uh, kind yeah. of, because there's a lot of main characters, it, it does, but yeah. it, it yeah. all but comes together like, pretty quickly, What I drew think. me into it, uh, like, in the first place was the fact that it was, like, a very pretty decent... Obviously, like, there's some fantastical elements brought in, but for the most part, it looked like they, you know, did a decent job of capturing early 20th century New York, uh, and that was really cool. Uh, another one was Eden of mm-hmm. the East, uh, which was this... Uh, series that took oh, place, right. yeah, I yeah. think it was also in New York, um, but not only did they, like... It was, gotcha, it was across gotcha. multiple yeah. uh, from, cities. But yeah. the thing that stuck out to me um, was not only the fact that, like, they, they got, you know, American streets and American city life, like, down pretty pat. They got people that didn't have Japanese accents speaking English, which was like, oh, like, why does that not happen right, yeah. more often? Yeah, it, it's, yeah, that's the other, because uh, in Hollywood and, uh, yeah, in Hollywood, you'll often have, subtitles for characters mm-hmm. other speaking something other than English. They won't just be like, mm-hmm. oh, we all speak English magically here. Uh, so that's definitely, it is interesting considering how there definitely is right? an yeah. English speaking presence in Japan. <laughs> I, it's like, how difficult would it be to just, especially because those scenes are rarely like major moments. Like it's normally mm-hmm. just a, a line here, a line there, but just having an actual person that knows how to speak English voice those lines would go a long way. Uh, for my, for me specifically, what I'm looking for is, for example, translate high school snafu to oh an American God. high school. Yeah, that and would how be... would that change? How would that differ? To, to like something modern, uh, something that takes place today. That's yeah. what I want to see. Which, even the East, it's kind of there, but it's also at the same time uh, yeah. over-the-top yeah. geopolitical weird nonsense. So, yeah, I, I want to see some... Wh- Let's see Moe Blobs in <laughs> could be the cool. UK. <laughs> let's see, a, let's see a Mecca in Africa. <laughs> I'm just saying random things now, but take all these genres that are staple for the anime medium and just put them somewhere else besides Japan and somewhere else that's not like a made-up fantasy world as well. I feel like that is a very mm. powerful untapped potential there, but 
it will take uh, a lot of effort there's to always tap a bias into to me, but I love stuff set in the UK because I think for me living here, it's always, always so gray and dismal. Like a lot of like American content is very sunny and very colorful and very bright. Um, cause I think America is very optimistic, but in Britain we're very cynical it, and negative. That is, and that's reflected it, in, it's our, you're talking about in that. our weather and our infrastructure. Like everything looks like depressed. Mm-hmm. Even our buildings look depressed. And I like that because me, I see it and I'm like, ah, oh, it's like my childhood. I remember oh my um, everything feels rough and, and grotty. So I'd like, like to see like more, I don't know, horror anime based in like the UK or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's another thing. Yeah. Because so many cultures have oh, their yeah. own yeah. horror stories or folk tales or just like uh, folklore. Like, again, anime could so very I, that's well why, uh, like, tap into that like as Vinland well. Vinland Saga and Berserk are as popular as they are because they are very distinctly Japanese. But I, I've been reading through mm-hmm. Berserk again recently and it's like, it is such a good representation mm-hmm. of a lot of visual, thematic, uh, narrative, uh, and cultural aspects of like 16th century Europe. And it's all done through the lens of like this very brutal, like, Seinen series and it's really cool but yeah Berserk is fantastic uh and because like for myself I'm a huge fucking history nerd uh and I like seeing a lot of these like very like granular attention to detail in terms of the armor the weapon tactics uh the architecture and all of that and Mura does such a good job of using them in his very unique story and the story yeah it's just great Berserk's great hmm is the Golden Age arc, like, amazing? Is that when so it gets really, really That good? is typically what I'd say is the most accessible arc and, like, why it gets adapted so often is because it's, like, it's kind of standalone. Um, yeah. yeah. But, no. Uh, yeah, more, more like Berserk, more like Vinland Saga, more that uses other people's cultures uh, in a very respectful way but puts a very distinctly anime spin on it. Yeah. Exactly right. And the reason those are so rare is because for those series, you have one individual that puts in the effort to do that research. But again, going back to what I was saying about collaborations, it doesn't have to be just one person. There's there's the internet, there's a voice op, there's phone calls. They can reach out to people who are experts in this and require their... I mean, that's honestly why it's like... Ask for their assistance. Some of of my favorite series have been stuff like Cowboy Bebop or uh, Samurai Champloo, which have very distinctly Western flavor, but that's because you had whole teams of people that were offering music, that were offering visual style, that were all very distinctly non-Japanese, but put into a context that utilized Japanese sensibilities. Get yep, get so out get out of the Galapagos but, but that Islands, doesn't mean Japan. Stop making Moe blob waifu shirts. <laughs> yes, exactly. I can't live without those. All righty, some quick little highlights before we move on to uh, our Shitsumon. So, uh, either of you watched Kakuji- oh, Kakushi Goto no. last season? I don't think so. So it's the one by the same author as Sayonara Zetsubo Sensei. I won't go into it too much, but I, I loved it last season. It was beautiful. It was very uh, very emotional. But the author recently came out and this is just a very cute little thing that you don't see too often but he he watched the anime and he finished the manga at the same time he finished the anime he finished the manga at the same time the anime ended and he said i'm not going to lie don't even bother with my manga just watch the anime um he was so impressed by the quality of the anime that he even wondered if he had really drawn such a beautiful story uh he also praised the anime director murano yuta saying that his passion is second to none yeah, yeah, it's just something you really don't so like. 
the actual cre- the creator getting imposter <laughs> syndrome from the anime. It's just like, did I did I make That's this crazy. possible? Really? I, I think it no must way. be so cool, like I, um, to to be a manga author who who then has a phenomenal anime adaptation made of your story. Um, like I'm not sure who wrote like mm-hmm. Demon Slayer, but like they must feel amazing when we look like the Demon Slayer anime and see such a good adaptation of their mm-hmm. story. Um, so yeah, I think that's awesome. So uh, Hello Kitty has officially been appointed Japan's uh, by the Japan's Agency of Cultural <laughs> Affairs as the copyright <laughs> PR ambassador. And so she will appear in informational videos, school materials, and other avenues in order to spread awareness uh, about copyright okay. infringement issues. Is that possibly because Hello Kitty is such a sort of global, like a globally recognized thing? There, there it's must one of the biggest have been like world, copyright yeah. things surrounding it. There must have been like knockoffs of Hello Kitty and stuff, I'm assuming. So it must have been like copyright fiascos exactly. in the past with that brand. So that might be why it's the ambassador, I'm just guessing. They maybe I don't know, but the best part is that there was an official like ceremony that went on with this. So there was someone in a Hello Kitty costume that went what? and accepted this nomination. And so uh, Koichi Higuroda, the Ministry of Education, and so on and so forth, he said to the mascot, "I hope that you can thoroughly convey the wonders of the real thing." To which the mascot commented, <laughs> "I will do my utmost to ensure that everyone <laughs> learns about copyright." I think it would have been good if uh, Hello Kitty goes up, but it's just like a Chinese knockoff version oh of Hello God. Kitty when it walks up. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! That's, it look kind of looks like one. It, it also notes that this is again in preparation for that new uh, copyright and uh, illegal streaming mm. law that's going into effect next year. So this will uh, launch in coincision with that. Moving right along, we got a new manga series uh, on a topic you wouldn't expect: Ooh, uh, pole dancing. Okay. Which not sure what's expected that. That's coming by the same author as Harder Kind of Receive, which is a beach volleyball manga. And uh, finally, we got a new anime announcement from MAPPA, and it's going to be a gymna- gymnastics anime, and it looks really fucking cool. It's called... Uh, That's it. Oh, uh, where'd it go? Oh, okay. Ta- Taiso, Taiso Samurai, and it's going to be starting in October. But yeah, nice. MAPPA, with its super fluid and uh, unique that animation cool. style, is making gymnastics. And the trailer they showed, at the very least, did not have CG yeah. in it, which is even more like Zombieland season two. Yeah, Fox. very much looking forward to that and seeing what they're capable of. Why oh, it's by the same team as Zombie Land Saga. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> because they're making this instead. Avi. Wow. All right. And that's all we got for the news Sweet. highlights for this week. All righty. Moving right along to our Shitsumon main topic of this week. So we've talked about in the past of uh, various shows that defy genre conventions, how they break norms, how they surprise one, and how they surprise you, and how uh, they can innovate on their genre. However, at the same time, there's a number, an infinite sea of other manga and anime series out there that more or less follow the same convention genres uh, laid out for them. And that's because they're popular and they work. However, there's still a lot of shows and series that work well within the confines of those conventions that despite there being a formula that the viewer and reader is more or less fully aware of and know that the story will follow to an extent they can still manage to surprise and delight you in different ways. And so how do series do that? And what are some examples we can think of? And how does that elevate them to be something greater? So I'm going to start with you, Harry. And the first thing I'm going to ask you <laughs> as our resident shonen expert is describe to me what the shonen uh, what format I, is. What I, what I love about it, uh, 
I'm, I'm going to, I'll kind of answer your question, but what I was going to say is, um, to me, the only rule of story writing, the only rule of like any kind of story writing is like make it entertaining. That's when you, when you kind of get down to, mm-hmm. to any of it, that's the one rule of anything really, unless you're doing something intentionally very arty and bizarre. Typically it's just make it entertaining. And I think that's why the Shonen Appeal works because it is just about entertainment. So the formula would just be some sort of protagonist uh, growing with some sort of powers and uh, fighting opponents and villains. And it's just that kind of basic popcorn entertainment of action that makes it so fundamentally surface level entertaining. Um, And I think that's why it works irrespective of what backdrop and setting it has. So, So yeah, like that is very roughly in a condensed form, the formula. Okay, so uh, p- pitch to me the most <laughs> generic oh, shonen okay. you can find, uh, think of. Like, what are the events that happen from like the beginning of the oh, series okay. to like the beginning, middle, the middle, the end, there middle, is and what happens an, in that uh, kind of series? A teenage male protagonist <laughs> who's uh, there's he's okay, quite perfect. deadpan and bland and undeveloped, and uh, he <laughs> suddenly. Re- he, he he lives in some sort of magical world and he suddenly realizes he has a kind of a polar opposite superpower to everybody else in the world. So, so his powers are different <laughs> to everyone else's and that somehow makes him outrageously more powerful than everyone else. Um, and Kyle, chip in. What, what, what's the, what's the next part of this story? about the fact that like... <laughs> he doesn't realize how strong he is and the only way he oh, gets yeah. stronger is through sheer willpower and friendship and friendship <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah like this is a very terrible show we're making right now so for but, like um, the, the middle arc you know uh he he'd probably like have at that point have like a few comrades probably a love interest maybe a couple other love interests that are into him but he's like too focused on training or whatever. Um, then there's the big bad and then the big bad has their goons and the, yeah, like you go through the goons, uh, maybe, you know, lose a few fights, but level up along the way. And then, most importantly, there needs to be lots of filler episodes as well. They just waffle on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a very, yeah. Very inconsistent pacing narratively. Um, yeah, this sounds like a fucking terrible show. It sounds awful. But it is, it is very effectively, describing the shonen formula yeah. like if you say if you tell someone's like watch this show it's a shonen this is more or less what you'll be mm. expecting yeah yeah all right so with all that said uh how how do you cr- what have shows done that despite you knowing that what you said the most important part is for it to be entertaining yeah so what have shows done that despite you knowing that's going to be ha- happening despite you knowing that he's going to get stronger through the power of friendship, maybe stumble along the way here, but he'll eventually win anyways. What makes them entertaining regardless of that? Uh, so so for me, one of the most entertaining aspects is when you've got a great shonen with lots of great characters in. And it's very much a character story. It's why I love My Hero Academia, because the entirety of Class 1A, along with the teachers and, and various pro heroes, they're all so interesting and so likable. Um, one of the reasons I didn't enjoy My Hero Academia season four as much, I did still like it, it was good, but I didn't enjoy it as much because I feel like there weren't enough moments where other side characters had chances Mm. to feature. I felt like so much of the series defaulted to Midoriya 
And I felt like this was really noticeable in the school festival arc where it was kind of presented. It was going to be about Jiro quite a bit. And I was thinking, oh, that's cool. She rarely gets a chance to shine. And I think it would have been great. I don't know if you agree with this, Kyle, but do you know when Deku goes to fight Gentle Criminal? If Jiro had been with him and the two of them had fought Gentle Criminal together. Instead of just Deku. That would have like, been much instead more of, powerful, yeah. Instead of just Deku. Because his Jiro own. had so much more riding on that. Deku, yeah. That's true. Yeah. And it could have been a great chance. Obviously, Deku is still the protagonist. He's still getting to do his thing, but it pairs him with a different character, yeah. which makes it more interesting. It makes it feel like a more unique encounter. How about you know, how they work together? To me, when shows can do that, when shonens are able to kind of do that and feature characters that don't normally get a chance to be featured, mm-hmm. it's really, really interesting. The reason why my favourite arc is uh, the, the forest training camp arc is because it's an arc where even though Deku gets plenty of featuring, mm-hmm. there's so many side characters who get a chance to sort of show off and do stuff. Um, and that's why that's my favourite My Hero Academia arc because it, it kind of really plays with its whole cast. It plays with all the characters it's got. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, they're the best moments I mean, that, of, of any show. That's why Demon shonen. Slayer is such a good take on the shonen formula. It's still fairly basic. Mm. Um, you know, it, it tweaks some things, uh, like making it a lot more lethal. But one of the things that I really like about Tanjiro as a shonen protagonist is that uh, he does exactly that uh, narratively, where even though he's still the focus, the story is still about him. It's still about, you know, his revenge on Muzen. Um there are moments when other characters get introduced, not introduced, but like it, it's Tanjiro is still like there, but he's his presence is used to elevate other people mm, and bring them yeah, to the forefront. Right. So it, what this uh, falls in in your flowchart of Shonen Generica earlier is uh, Big Bad appears with their goons, right? And mm. so normally what that would entail- encapsulate is like, okay, now main character goes beats up goons, but the way it innovates is like, yeah, main character's still there, but he's not just, it's not just the main character. Exactly, innovating yeah. in the mm-hmm. way that, okay, yeah, I didn't, main character is eventually going to be the one that solves everything. Mm. But here are, as everyone else that is supporting him, that my, is also I, making it. My Hero Academia is normally really good at that. I just feel it kind of dropped the ball in season four at times. Um, the best moments were like when Kirishima got to feature or Mirio got to feature. But there's not quite enough of that. Like, Mirio only features in, like, one episode. And even then, it, it, it's over too brief. So, um, yeah, I think when you get those shows that can sort of expand and show different characters and flip the formula around so it's, like, actually the protagonist is kind of being backed up by various teammates. I don't know. It makes it more interesting. and It, it plays with that character drama as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I recently started watching a D. Gray Man just because I was... I was and there's not a whole lot going on this season, so I wanted to pick up something. And for whatever reason, D. Gray Man just popped up. I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And what mm-hmm. I I'm eight episodes into it, and it is following the Shonen formula to a T, and it has not deviated from it at all yet. And so, what something that I found while watching it that I I really would appreciate if Shonen did is if it led you down one path, for example, there at the part I'm at right now, we just got the backstory on the main character, Alan Walker. And like, okay, here we go. And the backstory is exactly as we thought. His dad died, yada, yada, yada. Not really a spoiler because it's early. Uh, I would appreciate if they had done something to make that sequence to kind of play, play with that. For example, you don't have to fully illustrate or animate a flashback. 
Uh, if if Alan had just says like, okay, yes, look, this happened in my past, and I'm not a fan of it, but I'm I've moved past it now. And like, oh, okay, I got what I needed from that. But then as the series goes on, you could have gotten a little bit more input. Uh, you could see how that experience has shaped him through his actions. And that's, again, more of showing, not telling. And I feel like the problem of showing it a lot of times is that they tell you a lot more often than they just show you. And so that is something that My Hero Academia does. And something it sounds like from all the praise you guys sing about One Piece does well as well. Um, in in terms of of its world mm. building, but it's definitely a fault. One One Piece will like, in in story arcs. One Piece will take like five episodes, and it will just do like five episodes about backstory. But it will be like some of the most engaging backstory ever, and it will be like the political backstory of a particular island or a particular I think that's area. The and it will show all these characters ten twenty years ago. Yeah, but like you get you you you'll come to it and be like, oh no, you've got all these like kind of backstory episodes now be boring. And by the end, you're just like, that was fucking awesome. That was so good. I was so invested. And now it jumps back to Luffy and the Straw Hats and, and you you feel like it was time yeah. worth spent. I mean, Demon, Demon Slayer does that a lot, right? When it's over, when, when mm. like the villain's about to lose, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they give them like a flashback to when they like weren't, uh, when they were still human then got turned. Uh, but I, mm. I do like that idea. And I feel like a lot, not even shown it, but just kind of a lot of series in general, treat backstory as exposition um, rather than an opportunity for character, like not, not growth, but character rounding out, right. And giving you a better understanding of like who they are and why they got to, why and how they got to where they are now. Uh, so for myself, uh, not Shonen, but something that does it very similarly is I have binged a lot of uh, my teen romantic comedy snafu. Uh, and it is, kind of a by the numbers harem show uh but it's I, I don't i wouldn't i would hesitate to say it subverts the harem genre just because it plays a lot of it straight it, it, um, it story plays alongside parallel to a standard harem narrative that's that's probably a good way to a good way to put it it, it puts you in all of these situations but because of the way the characters are written uh all of those situations get played out a lot more realistically um and granted, you know, you still have like some like very outlandish or like stuff that's not contrivance, but uh, this could have only happened in the harem rom-com kind of thing. Uh, but what I really appreciate about Snafu is that it does give the character's backstory a lot of granularity, uh, but not in a way that's like beating you over the head with, oh, uh, her and her sister have this bad relationship. Uh, so obviously there's some like tension going on now. Uh, what they do and what I love is how they talk about that backstory because it's not just telling you outright how they got to where they are now, right? Uh, so, for example, one of the characters, uh, one of the main characters, um, she's very withdrawn. She's very uh, driven uh, for you know, success, and you know she doesn't really like care or pay much attention to what others think about her. But as you learn more about her and you learn more about her sister, uh, her sister's kind of like the polar opposite of her. She's very outgoing, uh, the the golden child of the family and the one who's super popular with everybody. Uh, but you see how like they interact and, uh, you know, the main character, one of the main characters, Yukino, uh, she talks about like how when she was little, like whenever they'd go to like amusement parks, her sister would mess with her. Um, and like she's about to go down like this uh, log flume ride and she's like, yeah, you know, last time I was here, my sister would always like 
tease me. And, you know, I, I hated it. Um, and it puts it into really in a really interesting context because it fills a lot of the blanks about mm-hmm. their relationship that you've seen beforehand. Um, and that's what I think backstory can be done. How backstory can be done really well is it gives you pieces to put into place that fill in the gaps right. uh, that you've had before. And that doesn't require you to deviate from the formula at all. You can follow the formula like completely on point. It's just know when to know when to remove things and put them a little. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to front load everything. You don't have to have a dedicated, Mm -hmm. this is our backstory episode now. And it can work out well, like it does in One Piece, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be that way. Um, Something kind Mm -hmm. of similar to that, Kyle, where uh, this season, the show called uh, The Misfit of Demon King High, which is the only show Mm -hmm. that I'm really, the only original show that's not a sequel that I'm really enjoying. I think, you spoke about that in the, uh, the recent yeah. anime guide, didn't you? Because I, I, I read that bit and you said yes. it was like, highly recommended. Yeah, so really something good. that I really appreciated is uh, the main character, Otto. So what happens that he meets these two girls at the school, this school, and uh, they're kind of antagonistic towards each other. But at the same time, you can, you can tell that they almost don't want to be antagonistic to each other. And so uh, one of them says like, oh, uh, they, they look nothing like each other, by the way. And one of them says like, oh, well, she's my sister. And Anos just immediately goes like, oh, which parent do you share? Because obviously they don't, they can't be blood related because they look so different. And Mm -hmm. then she says like, oh, we share the same parents. Like, oh, okay, there's something else going on here. But I'll ask you more later. And there's none of that kind of like surprise of like, oh, you mean you're not the same person? Wow, shock, amazement. It just gets cuts right to the chase, cuts out all the fluff. And it's kind of like what a person in that situation would think as well which I really appreciate about because in any other anime, mm. it would have been like, what do you mean you don't share the same parents and so on? And, mm. <laughs> and that's what I really appreciate about the show. Um, there had been a huge nanny scene. Yeah, exactly, nanny. Like really over yeah. the top. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I really appreciate about that. That's very similar to what Kyle was saying is that um, they don't draw, you don't have to, I think what it comes down to is you don't have to draw attention to backstory. Uh, you can just... Mm roll out these little bits and pieces that inform the viewer of what kind of life this character lived in the past and they realize and come to their own conclusions themselves. Um, it's when the the story writer respects the viewer's intelligence, I think is when oh, it's very God, strong. Oh God, in talking about this, like I'm watching another fucking harem rom-com from this season oh boy. called Rent-A-Girlfriend oh oh and it's so <laughs> fucking bad. It's awful. Uh, just because... Um, it does everything wrong that Snafu does right, and it completely adheres to the rom-com, harem rom-com mm-hmm. formula, which is the main character is this spineless little twerp who's, like, hung up entirely on his hormones. You've got the main girl who's way too nice for her own good and has no reason to, like, see any good in the main male character, and then you've just got this like complete jerk of a of an ex girlfriend who's only there to cause drama. And every time like any kind of conflict comes up, you have Kazuya, the main character, going over like, "Oh, uh, I've never had a girlfriend. I don't know what it's like. You know, she's the only like I'm only renting her to like act as my girlfriend." It's like it's the same yeah. fucking thing that they're beating you over yeah, the yeah, head yeah. with, and it's so fucking <laughs> bad. Yeah, that sure is that show. <laughs> that yeah, yeah, but like it, it adheres to a lot of like the same kinds of story beats that something like Snafu does, but 
it doesn't respect my intelligence mm-hmm. because it keeps telling me how I'm supposed to feel. Right. And that's that's something that I felt like Violet Evergarden did a lot too, but I'm not going to go into that. That's not really that doesn't really fit into our discussion here. But Kyle, I know something you else you also want to talk about was uh, cute girls doing cute things shows and what yeah. makes a good one of those because they follow a very specific formula as well. They, they they do follow a very specific formula. Um, I bring this up because I've been rewatching Kaon, which I haven't done for like nearly a decade at this point. Um, and it kind of surprised me how much it, how kind of not great it is. Um, it's, you know, it's fun. I really like the characters. Uh, it's really cute. It's really well animated. There are lots of great jokes, um, a lot of really cute moments, but it is, there is no conflict whatsoever. Um, and granted, like, you know, with the cute girls doing cute things kind of moe blob show, you don't really need conflict, but you need a reason for me to care about the characters. Um, and uh, I, I need to understand what drives them, right? And really, the show is about kind of just these girls forming a band and them wanting to perform and then they do it. And that's kind of it. Um, versus something else uh, like Euro Camp, right? Which, which is, it's still about cute girls doing cute things and, you know, they, they want to go camping, but you still have these, like, very individual character arcs and, and like, the, the main one, you know, with Rin and Nadashiko, Rin is very much in, like, a solo camper. She doesn't really like hanging out with people, uh, but through Nadashiko, like, she learns how to, you know, enjoy sharing this experience with other people while still respecting her own space. And that's really cool to see. And you, you see that she kind of has, like, some time to, you know, figure out what that means for her, like, what camping means for her, and what she enjoys, and how it's okay to enjoy certain things a certain way, right? And you don't ever really get that in K-On. That's, yeah. Uh, it's kind of, yeah. That's a very good point that you bring up, is, like, having to understand why the characters care so much about this activity. Because, yeah, in uh, K-On, I don't remember any of their names It's li- Yui's lit. Yeah. Her her fucking main motivation is literally, wow, I wish I cared about something. Yeah, and I, now that you mentioned that, a lot of Moe Blahs and Cute Girls doing Cute Things shows that just start with a character that is already super passionate about something are usually the ones that are the least interesting. <laughs> uh, so mm-hmm. another one that was last season that I lost interest in very quickly was Tamayomi, which is a baseball show. Oh, God. Yeah, and yeah, the main is. character is just like, let's do baseball right away. And... You eventually get the reasoning why, but you don't see, because you don't see that progression in passion, you don't begin to care. And so, yeah, uh, Eurocamp is a fantastic example because Nadeshko, she wasn't into camping originally. She just stumbled upon Rin on her own, and then she grew to learn the joys of camping. Another one airing this season is Our Diary at Breakwater, which is all about fishing. And again, main character... Didn't want anything to do with fishing at first. She found it absolutely disgusting <laughs> because she didn't want to touch worms. She th- found all the war forges weird. She getting touched by the fish is like weird, slimy. You don't want to get near that. Their eyes are lifeless. Why would you ever want to do that? But then, as mm. you see um, the other club members kind of ease her into it and find aspects of it that she can love and relate it back to her. And that's the other thing is that she has a different passion being uh, craft works. And so the way that they relate that to a different passion Hmm. and bring her into it is very engaging. And it also grounds you, the viewer, in their position too, because the viewer most likely 
is in the same position where they're going into it and knowing little to nothing about fishing. Some people know a lot about fishing, but I wouldn't say the vast majority of people do. And that, because you ground them and can relate to that main character, that makes it much more engaging because you are learning along with them. You're finding the joys of this activity along with them. And as I say that, that's an important aspect of Moe Blobs is that you are learning to enjoy this activity along with the characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and for like hyper-specific like interests like that, right? It doesn't even, you, you can even have that work um, where the main person is like super knowledgeable about it and still have that be fun. For the, the prime example being Shokugeki before mm-hmm. it went to shit. <laughs> uh, Shokugeki is a very by-the-numbers shonen. Yes. Uh, it's literally the exact same formula that Harry and I were working out where... <laughs> Uh, he had this dude who's like super strong or whatever he's doing. He comes up, makes friends, has a love interest, goes up, yada, yada. It's fucking by the numbers. I'm not, I'm not familiar with it. Why does it go to shit? Uh, that's spoilers. Uh, because but... it, spoilers, uh, yeah, but the, the very will overarching. Will people care? Will, will the few listeners be no, have it, care show, about these People are very universally against Shokugeki at this point. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I would, I would say, um, because I, dropped it uh, around the time it started to go into shit. What really happens is it loses two things. Um, it loses sight of the cooking, uh, which prior to that point, it's like it goes pretty in depth on the cooking, the style of cooking, uh, like the way you can approach it, uh, what different cultures offer. Like it, it got to the point where like I actually take some of like the cooking advice to heart and I still cook with a lot of things I picked up from Shokugeki. Um, so there's that. Uh, and then... There's the other part that it loses, which is it stops being about other characters. So it does the thing that My Hero Academia does in season four, where it keeps it on the main character instead of having fun with a huge cast that it had developed mm. up to that point. Um, so, like, it, like it, imagine if, like, you know, the next season of Hero Academia had just been focused on more Deku and having Deku yeah. go through the same shit again. Which That's is what it. happened it, with like, Shogugeki. He's a great protagonist, but I don't just want to watch him. I want to see all the other characters. I care about the other characters yeah. just as much. Yeah. And it's like, it... I don't know. It, it, it like... It, it... It's not like it ever got off the formula. It's just... It completely limits the scope of the formula. Which is, I think, you know, what a lot of these shows, you know, whether it's like a Moe Blob or a Shonen or a harem rom-com is... You can stick to the formula, just expand it a bit because a lot of people get too caught up in like not really, I guess, changing things, uh, which is what mm. God of High School is terrible with is it's literally just this dude who gets stronger by fighting other people. And it's like uh, that, it, it, that that's all I'm watching, really. There, there's nothing else outside of this. <laughs> yep, I fell off of God of High School as well. I, I want to circle back to K-On, though, because K-On is pretty universally regarded as the show that kicked off the cute girls doing cute things genre. Like, it was the one that started it all. And so, mm. with you going back to it with a fresh set of eyes, um, we're watching it again, uh, how co- why do you think that show specifically kicked it off? Why was that the catalyst that started it all? I think there wasn't really anything like it before mm-hmm. uh, in terms of Moe Blob Slice of Life stuff. I think the closest you could have had was Azumanga Daio. Um, but even then, that was more gag-related. And you, you had, like, some fun character stuff now and then. But Kaon did, like, admittedly have a through line. It was like, okay, 
Uh, what I did appreciate was from the very beginning, they were like, all right, we're going to play at the Budokan. We're, we're going to play at this stadium. We're going to you know, be super successful. Um, it's just the road that they take to get there isn't very interesting. Um, it's just a lot of, oh, let's have some tea. Oh, Yui doesn't want to play guitar, but we're just going to hang out and do cute things anyways. Um, and there isn't really any like any anything aside from that, which is why I think, you know, at the time, people did rightfully criticize K-On. Um, but, you know, you kind of have other people that were there for the turn your brain off fluff, um, which it does a really good job of doing. Mm-hmm. But since K-On has aired, there have been a lot of other shows that have taken the like cute fluff and given a little more substance to right. it. Right. And I think, but, uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, so I have been getting very into a mobile game called Bang Dream, uh, which it's fun. It's really good. It, it's like, it's a really good rhythm game. They do, they have a lot, whatever. I'm not going to fucking justify how much I enjoy Bang Dream, whatever. Uh, but they have an anime tie-in. Uh, and I was surprised at how much I'm actually enjoying Bang Dream's anime. Honestly, a lot more than K-On!, uh, the animation isn't nearly as good as KyoAni's, but what they do great is that they follow the same formula of they have the main character who's never played guitar before, uh, but you know she she really wants to create um, like the, the this moment uh, in her past, and she finds uh, that music uh, is kind of the vehicle for that. But having like no musical experience, she's just kind of cobbling things together, and she figures out how to actually be a better musician. And I think that's what's Kaon, what Kaon is missing is you don't really get a lot of musicianship in the series. Uh, you, you don't have a lot of the more granular stuff like with Shokugeki where it focuses on the craft of cooking or like your camp, which focuses on the camping, right? Um, and you, you don't really get that granularity to it, uh, which is what I think a lot of better slice of lives have done. Mm-hmm. And uh, going to your point about uh, Kyo anime animation too is I don't I don't think there's nothing saying that Moe Blobs can't have stellar animation as well and I think that's something that Yuru Camp portrayed in Space just some of the landscapes and uh, environments it showed were oh down yeah like gorgeous. going through the manga yeah. it's like it, it the, 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 read the manga if you really like yeah. Yuru Camp and meanwhile but if you've never seen it go watch the anime meanwhile uh, in uh, Diary of Breakwater as well it is very meticulous at showing you the process of gutting fish, like in excruciating yeah. detail. It doesn't, it doesn't hold back on that, but because it's so detailed, it's so engrossing, they don't skimp on that. And so there's this kind of conception that Moe Blobs are these low effort uh, mm-hmm. shows, and they definitely can be for sure, but the ones that truly excel don't settle for that. And but I think it's that's like with, with the meticulousness, it doesn't even have to be like, about a certain thing necessarily you can take that meticulousness and put it in another context so with like one piece right the world building is really great like the, the mm. all, all of the like the politics between all the different factions is great but another shonen uh that i really love and love the way the magic system works is full metal alchemist uh because mm, yeah. it feels like a very very well thought out like mm, just a system of magic, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, it, it abides by its own rules. It sets it up and it, you know, gives you, it, it does what I think like Black Clover does pretty decently, which is it, it sets up a lot of like basic elements. And then over time, as you get more familiar with it, 
um, and how like those certain things can be logically expanded, it creates fun and interesting combinations. So that mm-hmm. kind of meticulousness and detail can work in other contexts. Mm-hmm. Black Clover is a very interesting show in that it does start very poorly, but uh, <laughs> it gets it, it legit gets really good. It, it, mm-hmm. Like they really elevate the quality over but, time. Like, it, it pretty it much gets... just stays like as a shonen, right? Like a yeah, show. yeah. Don't get me wrong, it's not like the best shonen ever made. It's far from it. But like, it becomes a very competent shonen, at least. It mm. becomes like a very entertaining show uh, as we start to build more elements and build more characters. Uh, it just takes some time to get there. But yeah. I'm only saying that because I know Matt despises mm-hmm. it with a passion, which I I find fun. <laughs> yeah. But I, I kind of understand because like, I think unless you are really partial to that formula you probably will find it a little bit bland and a little bit shit. So I do totally get it. I mean, for me, like, I just appreciate the fights a lot um, just mm. because they they do have some interesting things uh, with the mechanics of it. Yeah, like, I, I can't... I'm trying to think of, like, other series that, like, get pretty in-depth in terms of systems or fight systems that it builds, but you know, Black Clover does a really good job with it. All right, I think that's a wrap then. We had a... That was a really good discussion, I think. That was cool. All right, so that brings us to the end of our show. This is the time when I would normally talk about our lovely site called Goomba Stomp, but now I have to put in two plugs, like I said at the beginning of the episode. We have GoombaStomp.com, which you can go to for all of your video gaming needs specifically going forward. Uh, We will continue to have a little TV and movie coverage here and there, but that will mainly be on Tilt Magazine going forward. So Tilt is going to be movies tv shows it's going to be where our anime section is now as well wrestling and all the other pop culture goodness but they will all be connected together um under the same umbrella so uh you can find An, a nice community of entertainment exactly whatever you might need so you can find me at musing mojack m-u-s-i-n-g m-o-j-a-c-k i am once again the anime editor on tilt magazine.net and uh you can check out a recent article I put out that is not anime related. You can find a Goomba Stomp instead uh, about the various mechanics of what goes into conveying satisfying damage in turn-based RPGs. And I am very proud of this article. Something It's an idea that I've it's had for a long chunky. time. It's a very chunky article. It's very long, <laughs> but I think there is a lot um, in there that you might not have thought about when you've played your favorite game. So check that out if you are a fan of JRPGs and turn-based systems in particular. Uh, the anime recommendation I'm going to give this episode, I already talked about uh, Misfit Demon King. It's fantastic. The other one I'm going to just put out there is Monster Girl Doctor. Um, the first episode really? is trash. Uh, it, it absolutely is. <laughs> I will fully admit that. But I am very impressed from the second mm. episode onwards how much it tones down the fan service and how much attention it gives to the actual anatomy of these various Monster Girls and how they function in this world. And there is a very, there is a surprising amount of world building going on as well. I'll just say so this, it's... when the second episode comes up with a very legitimate and convincing reason of how a mermaid could drown, that's when oh. I knew that there was something more to the show. So give it a chance, okay. get past the first episode. Once you're into the second episode, especially, that's when it really starts to shine. It just gets better. All right, Kyle, where can we find you at? You can find me online at Like the Rogue. Uh, I don't really write much these days because I'm super busy. Um, but you know, you're here listening to my voice and you can hear my voice tell you, uh, go read Berserk. <laughs> fucking fantastic. Get that hardcover volume copies like Harry. Yeah. yeah. I also got to get uh, that. That sounds fucking great. I, I, I think like 
each, I think, I don't know how many varieties, about seven or something, but they're about like 25 to 30 pounds. Wow, that's really, um, that's the furthest out. It, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's don't get me wrong, that's a lot of money, but, but when you consider what you're getting. Yeah, for a hard yeah, cover. It's, it's like per volume. A big like hard cover book yeah. with like that's a, good a deal. lot of stuff in. So it's cool, yeah. Um, it, going back to our earlier point, it is, it's a lot of money, but it is technically affordable. It is it? something that you can go, start to buy go as an read investment. The go read the series that inspired From Software to make a fantastic line of games. And, and uh, don't watch the anime, as far as I know, because from what I know, the original, from what I know, the original oh. series is like okay. People generally quite the, like the, the yeah, original the 90s anime. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but then obviously, like, with recent adaptations, it's all been CG. Why is that out of interest? Because I, I find it so strange that, like, there's this... One of the best performing this, series. I don't know. Acclaimed, I mean, I feel like this acclaimed manga, if, like, if you said to, like, a, a typical studio, do you want to animate Berserk? Like, a lot of studios would be like, just fuck yeah. Care. I don't know. Do, do, do you want to make lots of money and, and, like, have a really popular ongoing show i think the weird like, part is how consistently bad they've been because there have been more than a few yeah there's been two seasons uh, why is it like is it the the manga author who like i don't know has kind of had control over this or, i don't know I, I, whatever i just can't i can't suss don't, it out. don't watch yeah. it don't yeah. watch the anime read the manga read berserk have fun mm. and you can join me in waiting for miura to finish this series in the next 30 years yep <laughs> mm. <laughs> Uh, I am Harry underscore Morris underscore on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to recommend a film. I've recently been rewatching, uh, not rewatching, just watching for the first time quite a few One Piece movies. Um, some of them aren't good, uh, as to be expected. Some of them are just kind of like filler bullshit anime movies, but some are <laughs> fucking awesome. And my favorite one has been the tenth movie, which is called Strong World, and it's really, really fucking good. I think it was like the first movie that's been properly overseen by Eiichiro Oda. And oh, he kind of like, yes, so, so like he drafted quite a bit of a story and he did a lot of character design. So he sort of oversaw a lot of it. And you can tell because it's, it's fucking bonkers. Mm-hmm. There's so many weird, eccentric, cartoony moments to it. And that, I mean, you can tell that's Eichiro Oda. That's his influence. Um, it's the most kind of comedic, silly movie. And that, that's because it's, it's him doing it. It's got that kind of childlike magic that makes One Piece so good in the first place uh, so yeah watch Strong World it's really really entertaining really fun standalone uh, yeah standalone yeah yeah all the movies are standalone um, I, I recently did a review of Stampede which is the latest latest one uh, which I quite enjoyed but there's some issues as well to it so it's not my favourite but I do like it but uh, Strong World has been my favourite I think that's just a fucking great movie uh, so that's my recommendation alright awesome Got a lot of neat breaks out there. So thank you for joining us on this wonderful morning slash afternoon slash evening slash middle of the night. And slash. we will <laughs> slash what? I don't know, just slash. Uh, did you invent a new time period? <laughs> and we will see you next time. Ciao.